The Nation Network presents Coming In Hot. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Coming In Hot. I'm Brent Wallace alongside 13-year NHL veteran defenseman Jason York as we continue Hall of Fame week here with Daniel Alfredson being inducted on Monday. And Yorkie, we brought in another Hall of Famer to finish out the week. Marion Hopes is going to join us later. Yeah, what 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 a get today, uh, Wally. Marion Hosa, one of the best guys you'll ever meet, and what an outstanding career he had as well. Eh? And I know he's got the book out, just released a few days ago about his career. And, uh, you know, he's one of the good guys in the game, and I know people here in Ottawa have a lot of uh, special feelings about how this guy played the game. I'm going to tell you, we, we were neighbors for a couple seasons in his early times in Ottawa, and... Uh, he when he came over Wally he just made such an effort to learn the language be part of the group and I really think that's a big reason why why Marion kind of adapted quickly because sometimes there's a transition period right when, when young guys come over from Europe especially back then but there wasn't much for Marion he just he came in he embraced it and he just took off and uh, what what a player what a person did he keep his lawn mowed <laughs> I think his mom did that because he lived with his mom for, for the first year in the league. Oh, we used to bug him about that. Little mommy came over, take care of Haas. But hey, he's 18, 19 years old in a new country, and it's it's easy to tease somebody. But hey, if I went over to Slovakia or Russia when, when I was 19 years old, I would have needed somebody as well. Uh, we used to have his mom over for dinner, Absolutely. though, Laurel and I. Um, and... If you want, you want to see how a, how a kid is, just look at their parents and, and both Marion's parents, just unbelievable people. Phenomenal people, absolutely. Uh, we will get to that in a sec. As always, the Coming In Hot show brought to you by Renfrew Pro Tape. Go to RenfrewPro.com, also available in all major retailers, including like Pro Hockey Life, Sportcheck, Canadian Tire. They are the ones with the green core. By the way, they also invented shin pad tape. I always like to bring that up because I think it's kind of cool. They have the best tape. They are the worldwide leaders in tape. They have, I think the last 20 straight years, the Stanley Cup champion has used uh, Renfrew Pro Tape. It's been in their locker room. So RenfrewPro.com, that is the worldwide leader in Pro Tape. The one with the green core. Uh, Yorkie, we got lots to talk about. Uh, we're yeah. going to go streaking later today. That is with the... Sens are losing, the New Jersey Devils are winning, Claude Giroux's on a streak, the Sens can't win on the road, all that stuff. However, before we get to that, yeah, I don't know if hell froze over, I don't know what happened, but Nikita Zaitsev <laughs> is on waivers, and it doesn't look like he's going to be in the lineup against New Jersey. We don't even know if he's going to get claimed at this point. Uh, there's a little bit of shock. Are you surprised to see Nikita Zaitsev on waivers? No, I'm not. I, I know I'm not at this point. I know people were wondering when it was going to happen. They thought he never should have started the season with Ottawa. Poor guy, too. If he was watching, if he has a Twitter account or social media, holy cow, he was taking some. I actually didn't think he was that bad the last couple games, but the microscope was on him. And the way the way Bernard Docker played in the last game makes it a little bit easier because you don't want to rush him. He was doing awesome down in Belleville, playing as in their top shutdown pairing. I watched him pretty closely against Vancouver. He's got a presence about him when he's on the ice. He just has a confidence, and he did exactly what he needed to do uh, to probably make this move a lot easier in the Ottawa Senators' minds of not having to rush him because he looked really comfortable in the game while he, he made some real nice plays. He just played within himself, and for, for, for JBD, I think he's going to get – 
a real good long look. I, he'll probably be here for, in my opinion, I know it's a small sample size. Just, just keep him here. Let him make some mistakes and, and let him learn the game. He looks right now. He looks like he's ready. And, and also too, <laughs> what's going on in Ottawa right now, they need some with some, some, some stability back there on the blue line. So, yeah. Right now, the future is now for, for JBD. And if, if he plays like he did against Vancouver, he's not going to have any problems. But don't kid yourself. He's going to have some bumps in the roads as, as well, just like Sanderson, just like all young D do. But he's going to have to learn on the job. But I, I really liked what I saw in, in, in that game against Vancouver. I thought he was excellent. Uh, 17 minutes, 27 seconds of ice time. Goes from arguably being a healthy scratch when he got called up to playing as a top pairing with Thomas Shabbat. We're going to get to that in a sec because I think something doesn't add up there. But do you think Jacob Bernard Docker can fill that spot alongside Thomas Shabbat? And I'll, I'll let's just say at least for the time being until there are perhaps changes. Is he good enough to be a top two D pairing? Well, that's that's asking a lot. I, and honestly, I think expectations need to change with the Ottawa Senators. And a lot of pressure was put on this young group in the summertime when they said, hey, we're going to – they basically said we got we have to be a playoff team. If you read between the lines, we got to be a playoff team, meaningful games, whatever you want to call it, or it's or it's going to be a failure. So you got this young group right now, and they're squeezing the sticks. You get a little bit of adversity, uh, vice versa. You look what's going on in Montreal right now. Everyone's like saying, "Why are the Montreal Canadiens playing better?" What, what were they saying in the summer in Montreal in comparison to Ottawa with their young group? Basically, playing with house money. And I, I say this all the time. It is so much easier for young players who are just getting their feet wet in the NHL to play when expectations are low. So if you're going to have high expectations for JBD and you think he's going to come in and be a top two defenseman, that's asking a lot. Can he do it? Time will tell. But let him play. Just let him learn on the job. Let him. He's going to make mistakes. Uh, it's going to be trial by fire here. But um, I, I just think that that messaging in the summer it's fine to say that, and I'll say it again. The blue line was not addressed in the summer. Everyone that got all excited and we're going to be a playoff team, we got to break it, we got Drew. That's fine. and Great players, but they didn't bring in a defenseman, and all of a sudden you start the season, you get one injury, and shit hits the fan. <laughs> like <laughs> That shouldn't happen. But here we are, and all of a sudden they're 4-8, and eight. And everyone's got the panic button going. And now we're talking about Jacob Bernard Docker. Can he be a top four defenseman? Well, that's not asking a lot for a young kid to come in. And I, I know Sanderson's like looking like one, but man, ask any guy in hockey. The worst thing you can do is rush a player into the league. But the Senators have put themselves in a situation. I don't, I don't want to point fingers, but again, careful what you say in the summer. Uh, and and careful with the with the pressure expectations. Hey, these guys are pros. Pressure is part of it. I get it. But that's the reason, a big reason, why Montreal's doing what they're doing, and Ottawa's doing what they're doing. Like it's just they, you can't just start winning right away in the league. There's a process you have to take. I thought at the end of last year, Ottawa made some steps. They were starting to play better hockey. I thought at the end of the year, and now they come back this season. Bring in some star players who are great players, but don't bring in any defensemen. So there you go. But Yorkie, the reason they played better at the end of last year, there was no expectations. 
That's the house money. We see it that, every year with Ottawa at the end. Yes. They start playing better because there's no pressure. But but if and you then look we get at this any, false sense of going into the following season. Exactly. But if you look at any good team, there is a process. Colorado was a bad team for a long time. You gotta take your lumps. You lose as you lose some games and you gain experience. You look at this young core and last year's team, Brady Kachuk, Batherson, Timmy Stutzla. Like look at this look at this team right now down the middle. Again, one injury. And you're asking this team to be a playoff team with Stutzla that is a, I think he's a world talent, but he's a young guy. Like he's a very young guy. And then all of a sudden you have Pinto, who's a rookie. You got Kastelik, who's a rookie. And you got Broussard, who he's done a decent job, but he's he's on the back nine of his career. You really think this team, the way it's built down the middle and with the blue line has the ability and with the pressure that's on them right now to be a playoff team, the strength of this team is on the wings. Kachuk, Dabrinkit, Drew, Batherson. And with Norris out of the lineup, the two most important positions beside your goaltender, it's not strong enough. Not enough experience. It will be. I think this team is going to be a really good team down the road. But I just think the messaging, totally different than what's going on in Montreal. And all of a sudden, here we are. It's four and eight, couple big injuries, and the heat's on. People are talking about firing the coach. Uh, but I, again, they didn't, uh, they, they started the season with Nikita Zaitsev, who's now on waivers, Travis Hamannick, and I don't want to crap on Travis Hamannick, but he was waived through the entire NHL. No other team wanted him. Nobody. Ottawa actually could have tr- got him on waivers, then they decided to trade for him. But now here he is in, uh, in Ottawa and uh, had a pretty good start to the season, but Again, it's uh, it's the blue line. He, he, well, he didn't look very good in the last game, but I will go. I mean, okay, so we're going to go to Nikita Zaitsev being on waivers and what has all transpired over the last little bit. Um, JBD gets called up on that weekend, and we suspect he's going to play. Otherwise, why are you pulling him out of Belleville when they're actually playing games? He doesn't play. He gets sent back down. I found that odd. Is this a move by Pierre Dorian? to isolate Nikita Zaitsev out of the lineup and not give DJ Smith the option to play Nikita Zaitsev, which is what it seems like as the eye test appears. Because nobody, there's nobody out there, I haven't seen anybody anywhere go, you have to put Nikita Zaitsev in your lineup if you're going to win. All right, they're 0-8 with him in the lineup. I don't know if that's all on Nikita Zaitsev. Don't get me wrong, I thought he was very good in the Vegas game. But are you telling me at uh, some point here... Wally... Are you telling me that yeah. Pierre Dorian is like a Billy Bean and DJ Smith's the coach and it's Moneyball where he won't play the player? I, so, I, <laughs> right? I think that's exactly what's happened here. I this makes more sense as a power move to tell DJ Smith we're not playing Nikita Zaitsev anyway. <laughs> well, maybe um, I would have to think most organizations. You're meeting with your general manager, the coach, everyone's on the same page. You, you, you make decisions together, especially during tough times. Uh, I'm bringing this guy up. I, I'd like him to play. Uh, you'd have a conversation, wouldn't you? I, I'm just thinking logically here right now. I see your point. Um, but something we talked about the other day, maybe there was something in the works when Docker was called up the first time and, and the trade fell through and they brought him up. And the other thing too is, Everybody nowadays makes such a big deal if a guy gets called up 
and for some reason he doesn't play. Like times have really changed, Wally. Like it's that that happens more often than, than people think. Uh, it's just under the microscope here when the team is losing. Everyone makes everyone loses their shit, and it's like, oh my god, he's got to play. He's got to play. Well, so it's uh, man. I, I I'll tell you the reasons. I, I though, up for, well, I'm going to tell you something. I got called up for a game once with Detroit. I got called up the day before. I flew into Chicago from Adirondack, stayed at the Drake downtown Chicago. It was an afternoon game the next day in Chicago. I came to the rink, met the team, uh, got my got my uh, gear on for warm-up. I'm walking up the stairs to Chicago Stadium. I'm all excited. I get the tap on the shoulder from Scotty Bowman. Yeah, you're not going to play tonight. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'd like you to leave right now get on a flight you're booked for a uh, for a 2:30 flight and you're going to play back in Adirondack tonight so i had to pack my bag walk through chicago stadium with my bag over my shoulder go outside hail a cab get on a plane fly back to Adirondack which is albany airport hour drive from the airport to the rink get my gear on and it was halfway through the first period and i played the rest of the game in Adirondack like, I don't know. I didn't complain. How'd you play? I, I'm not saying Docker's complaining, but it's, uh, I was a young guy. I was a prospect. I was Detroit's number one prospect, but shit happens, man. You, you deal with it. It's, no. it's, it's part of the, the business. It's part of being a pro and, uh, we can speculate on what happened, but I, I, if you're Docker, I, I know he doesn't mind, but it's, it's just interesting when you talk about guys getting called up and he needs to play, he needs to play. It's, it's one game. I know they're losing. I know it's a big deal, but it's, it's not the end of the world. It's uh, the good thing is though, oh, Zaitsev. Now it's the, the, the right difference. thing has been done, and you move on. Yeah. The difference is when you played, there was no cap. This time, there's a cap, which affects the budget. So if you just call yeah, players but... up, you're affecting the budget and costing money that may be available or needed to be on the road. I'm not saying that's in Ottawa's case, but money plays a big part now. And now you're taking a guy out of a lineup where a team needs to play and he needs to play. They just, there's no point in doing what they're doing if they're not calling him up to play him. I get that there's a guy potentially injured. We're not sure if he's going to go. Yeah. yeah, that happens a bit. But it, it's rare now just to call people up on speculation. Usually they know pretty well if he's going to play. Well, I do agree with that. It's an easy drive from Belleville to Ottawa with two, two, three hours. It's, it's not much. And D DJ Smith's right now coaching like his life depends on it. Like, he's trying to make the right decision. I'm not defending him here with the whole Zaitsev situation. And all I can tell you, and people wonder why this happens with certain players, I'll tell you something about the NHL, how it works. Every coach, every GM has their guy. You know who my guy was? <laughs> Most people think he's not a smart guy. My guy was Pierre Gauthier. If it wasn't for Pierre Gauthier... I probably don't play nearly as many games as I can play, as I played in the league. He traded for me from Detroit to Anaheim. He was assistant GM there. Then he became the general manager of the Ottawa Senators. And guess what? He brought Jason York to Anaheim. Then he went back to Anaheim five years later. And hey, Jason York signs as a free agent for the Anaheim Ducks. It's just so everyone has their guy. Like it's pretty obvious. Travis Hamannick is Jack Capuano's guy. He had him in New York, coached him. Hamannick had his best years there. DJ Smith was the D coach in Toronto when Zaitsev was there playing his best years. He was really good. DJ came over, Zaitsev came over. So there's history there. He, he likes him. He trusts him. Um, obviously, he's played 
I'm not going to say terrible, but he hasn't been very good. And uh, a lot of heat on DJ Smith for doing that. But the reason is everybody has their guys. And uh, my, my my guy was Pierre Gauthier and at the York family dinners, especially on special occasions, Wally. We give thanks to Pierre Dor- for to Pierre Gauthier. <laughs> <laughs> little so little special little, table setting for him yeah we put we got a little setting at the end of the table for the ghost hey pierre how you doing thanks for the extra thanks for that extra Couple contract cookies. down the road i appreciate it. hey <laughs> i my I, I think pierre gochi is one of the smartest men in hockey by the way so there <laughs> yeah that's i could see that coming um finally <laughs> on the zaitsev topic Yes. Uh, by the time we're done this, we won't know if he's cleared waivers or not. Um, do you suspect he is? And uh, do you suspect he clears waivers? And here's I have. Here's what I think is going to happen. You know what? Go ahead, and I'm going to tell you what I think here in a second. No, you tell you tell me first. You tell me first. You have a theory here. Yeah. I know. I know we're talking about. So he he's his cap hits four point five million. He makes two and a half million in real dollars. And two of that million was in a signing bonus. So he's been already paid. So he's now paid for the year 500000 which is obviously less since we're a month into the season. That's yeah. not a lot of money. If you need a serviceable defenseman, I know people are laughing at me right now when I say serviceable. <laughs> I, in a different system, he might be fine, right? Uh, under different coaching, maybe he's a different player. But next year, he makes a $4.5 million cap hit again. I get it. It's not everybody's got one of those. But he only gets $2.5 million in real salary. You're not taking on a lot of money in NHL standards to have a depth guy around. I'm not sure if he gets through waivers or not. So how, so how it works is pro scouts watch all the teams. They have their notes. They do their, they do their scouting. And they say, okay, Zaitsoff might be available here. So some what whoever the pro scout for the team that's going to acquire Zaitsev, he's going to be putting his name on the line when he does this. So if you're a pro scout, are you putting your name on the line, your livelihood for for the way Zaitsev has played to start this season? He's got he's got two things going for him. Number one, he's a right shot D, and that is very valuable in the NHL. Right, right shot D, we all know they're they're coveted around the NHL, but you need a right shot D that can move the puck. Puck moving right shot D, and probably the biggest uh, biggest blemish on Zaitsev's game right now is he doesn't move the puck very well, doesn't make great decisions with the puck, and for a veteran guy, he doesn't play with a lot of calmness and a lot of poise. He competes hard. He's pretty good on the penalty kill. Um, he's a good teammate, all that stuff, but I don't think he's going to get picked up. The extra year, number one, and, and number two, he just he, he hasn't played well, and why would you bring in a guy early in the year? Maybe later, Wally. Maybe later somebody picks him up. You're going for a run. Hey, you know what? Let's pick this guy up because we need an extra body just in case you're loading up on your defense. I think early right now, I think it's going to be tough. Everyone's playing their young guys. Everyone's looking what they have. Why would you bring in Nikita Zaitsov to kind of complicate what you already have, especially that he's not playing that well? Uh, so I don't. I I don't think he gets. I don't think he gets picked up. But could be wrong. Fair and fair enough. Uh, like in my brain, I'm like, who's going to pick him up? But I used to think that about a lot of contracts that I never thought would get moved. So my all my point yeah. is, we we sit around going, well, that contract will never get moved, and then suddenly someone makes a trade for it. So like yes. I remember Phil Kessel's yeah. deal. People didn't think he would get moved, or Dion Phaneuf's contract. 
They traded David Clarkson, who was never going to play again, right? Like, there is a yeah. There's just yeah. there's math gymnastics that happens. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Who who do you think would? So here's one. Who do you think would take him? If I know you, I know how your mind I, I don't works, know. Wally. I know you're kind of. Who do you got? I I don't have anybody, but I just I feel like there's always a coach that says I can fix X player. I can <laughs> fix him. Bring him in. I there's always someone who thinks they can do that. He, he's maybe there's uh, a unfortunately guy he's the Ottawa Senators coach right now. He's <laughs> it's DJ Smith. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the guy. Fair, yeah, that, yeah, I can fix him. Man, nah, not so much. So maybe he no. goes back to Toronto. Who knows? And listen, um, I, I hate shitting on. Hey, Wally. By the way, I hate shitting on players. It's a yep. it's a tough yep. league to play in. And hey, the guys make lots of money. Big boy pants, all that stuff. I get it, but. I don't like to see guys struggle. I don't see like to see guys. It, it sucks. Um, but it is what it is. It is what it is. He hasn't played well. Uh, I've been moved before. I've been treated like crap before. I know how it feels. Uh, probably the best story, to your point, remember Larry Murphy back in the day? Like, just, oh, yeah. like, he was getting booed in Maple Leaf Gardens. Everybody thought he was finished. Terrible player. Um, then goes to Detroit and wins the Stanley Cup. <laughs> and actually plays... Really good hockey. It doesn't help. It doesn't hurt when he got to play with Nicholas Lindstrom as his partner. But um, right. you never know. But I, it, I, and I that's doubt, my I point. Doubt, I doubt it. Yeah. So, like, what if Nikita Zaitsev goes and pairs with somebody that ends up like? I'm gonna. I'll bring this up because Eric Goodbranson was a. I really like the yep. Goody as a player, uh, as a person. Yep. I didn't think he was very good in Ottawa. Goes to Pittsburgh. Looked very good. Goes to. Uh, Calgary is like a shutdown guy and then gets a four-year yeah. $16 million contract. I, so I know I just say you never know if you've Yorkie 7,500 players in the history of the national hockey that have played in the national hockey league 70 that's it over the course of the entire NHL. You are a special type of player to play in the national hockey league. So for us to say these players well, are no good, they're, they're extremely good. They just look like they're struggling against other high caliber players, but let's, Let's give them some credit Wally. here. They are in the National Hockey League. Yeah. Wally, quick, quick, quick story for you, real quick. So I once, when I was in Anaheim, and Pierre Gauthier, who I give thanks to at dinner, was fired. <laughs> so the guy that brought me into Anaheim got fired, and the next year, Mike Babcock came in as coach, Brian Murray was the GM, and all of a sudden, I my guy was gone, and we had a really bad team in Anaheim, and I got sent to the minors, and it looked like my career was over. Everybody thought I was terrible um, for whatever reason. And then I got traded for a dollar. I got traded for a dollar bill, and Nashville had to pick up half my salary. And I could have been done. And and if people around the league looked around, hey, this guy traded for a dollar, and then I ended up going to Nashville, playing some pretty good hockey, played some top four minutes. So yeah, you, you do never know. But with good Branson and Zaitsev. For me, there's a difference because if you look at Zaitsev's game and you say, tell me one thing, and I know he said he works hard and all that, but the one thing Good Branson has going for him is he's massive. He's six foot five, he's big, and he can fight. And he got put into a system with Daryl Sutter, and I, I watched a lot of Calgary Flames games. Um, so, yeah, to your point, he was in the system, it helped him, uh, but he's got some intangibles in his game that a guy like Zaitsev doesn't have, which is big. He can be really Fair nasty enough. and, and he, can, he can fight too. He's a tough, he's a, he's a tough big guy. And 
A great family too, the good Branson yep. family, real good people. Uh, yes, they are. And they could, and Ottawa could probably use them right about now just to, to have yeah. some physicality on the back end because it's, it's something that I think is sorely lacking despite the fact that people talk about this day and age in hockey is all about speed and skill. They don't have anybody that's pushing people around. Um, but that's another story for another day, Yorkie. We'll be here all day. Uh, by the way, uh, the show brought to you by, as always, BEI, Bonisher Excavating, Inc. Uh, if you're looking for a job with uh, heavy construction, give them a shout, BonisherExcavating.com. They are hiring. They need all kinds of people. Or give them a call, 613-432-1120. They also help with all your aggregate and uh, landscaping needs. BEI, helping to shape the Ottawa Valley. All right, we're moving on. That is to today's game, Yorkie. Uh, boy, oh boy. So the New Jersey Devils have won seven in a row. They sit atop the Metropolitan Division. Ottawa, they've lost six in a row and sit 30th in the National Hockey League. Have yet to win a road game at 0-4. Boy, uh, it, does, it, it doesn't look good for the Ottawa Senators going in. Now they've uh, – Matthew Joseph looks like he's going to be a healthy scratch tonight. Um, can you uh, – we talked about this going into the season, how New Jersey and Ottawa, who was going to be better, who looked better. A lot of people thought it was going to be Ottawa was going to be ahead of New Jersey. Well, that's definitely not the case. Uh, New Jersey looks like they're for real so far in this early season. What did New Jersey do in the offseason, Wally? They addressed the D, Jay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> like The most important position besides your goaltender is, is they address their D. They're able to get their puck out of their own zone. They got lots of talent up front and not a lot of pressure either in New Jersey. And I hate making pressure as, a, yeah. as a, an excuse and all that, but they're just, uh, they're off to a good start. And a big reason is they, they address their, their, their back end. They got guys that can move the puck. I really like Marino. Marino in Pittsburgh, anyone that watched the Penguins play, this was an under the radar guy that plays with poise, plays with confidence. The thing with defensemen, you need a little bit of experience before you kind of figure out the league, who does what, what you can get away with, how quick the pace is, just reps. I remember talking to Dennis Potvin, and we used to chat about this all the time, he'd say, you need about 300 games in the league before you really kind of kind of become the player you're going to be. It, it, it takes a while. Some guys, are, like for sure, like my car and these other guys, they're, they're, they're prodigies, they're unbelievable, and it comes quicker, but... A guy like Reno, he's got a little bit of experience now. They brought in Hamilton, who can move the puck. Um, so like they've they've done some nice things. So this this will be again the most important game for the Senators of the season, just like we said against the Vancouver game. Uh, but boy, oh boy, they they need a win, and they need one tonight bad. So I will say, all their losses, if I'm not mistaken, have all been basically one goal games plus empty yep. net goals. So does that mean either Ottawa is competitive and in all these games, or they're always playing from behind? And that, that's what it seems like to me, is Ottawa is always kind of trailing or playing from behind uh, a lot of the time. And that changes how you play the game. Chasing the game. You hear that expression all the time, you're chasing yeah. the game. I, I wouldn't agree with that in the, in the Vancouver game. I thought they were really good. Like, I watched them... They very were closely in that game. They, like, and, and people were upset after the game, but that was, it wasn't a perfect game. They lost that game because of two plays in that third period. Hamannick gets beat in the corner, easy pass out front. Uh, uh, 
the defense takes it back. Shabbat Brandstrom then turns it over. Uh, two games in a row, though, where the other team's goaltender. I look at the Vancouver game and then the game before with Philadelphia. Both the opposition's goaltenders, I thought, outplayed Ottawa's yep. goalies. And I'm not putting the loss on Ottawa's goaltenders. They could have really used a save in the Vancouver game. I thought Talbot, when Branstrom turned that puck over, yeah, that's a grade-A scoring chance. Really could have used a save there. And I know Talbot, a little unfair, hasn't played, didn't get a full camp, was thrown into the fire. But those are saves on a struggling team that you really need and you look back and you can say, oh, well, that kind of won us the game there. But uh, they didn't win. They did some good things. People aren't happy. Uh, it's just, uh, it's they're in, a huge, they're in a huge hole now. They're in a huge hole. Wally, how do they get out of it? They got to go in and, and, and just try and limit their mistakes and clear their heads, try and take the pressure, try and get the monkey off their back and just play. Just, it's tough. It's, 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 uh, like I said, it's, the way this roster is composed right now, it's going to be really difficult because they're 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 young down the middle, they're young on the back end, and uh, they 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 really need some kind of move, a defenseman to come in or get get Zoo back in the lineup as quick as possible because he is really missed yeah. back there. Uh, and Artem Zoo, by the way, if you don't know, is not on the trip as they're playing two games. Uh, they play New Jersey and Philadelphia uh, quickly. Uh, last topic before we get to Marion Hosa, Hall of Fame member. Uh, Claude Giroux, obviously he's frustrated, hates losing, uh, and he's watching this team lose games. But he's on a six-game point streak, Yorkie. Uh, seven points, five goals. That's his best, uh, longest point streak since February 23rd, 2019 to March 6th. Uh, 12 points during a seven-game point streak. He's come to play each and every night, it seems. He's been fantastic. Good on faceoffs, good on the power play, uh, scoring goals. Very good defensively too, Wally. I I'm watching Claude Giroux the way he works on the ice. Like he tracks so hard in the in the neutral zone when he's coming back on the back check, and so smart, poised, confident out there. That's I thought that was a terrific signing by Pierre Dorian. Exactly what the Ottawa Senators needed, especially for some of the guys like Brady Kachuk, Josh Norris. Uh, Batherson, he's a great guy to learn from. Just, just about. I'm not even talking about the games. How he goes about his daily business, how he prepares, how he works out. You go for dinner. What he's talking about, the stories, the players he's played with, the faceoffs. We heard the stories about about Stutzla going in and, and watching how he takes faceoffs. Same with Norris. So, I think it's a terrific signing. He's 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 come and played as advertised, even better. Um, and I, you got to give you got to give Dorian full marks for pulling off that move because I, I I think uh, it has been an outstanding pickup and, and Claude is I think he's been terrific. And when you're that good, you can score from basically outside the blue line at will. It seems yeah. uh, that'll wrap it up for uh, our said check. Uh, Alfie Week continues here on the show. Coming up, we have another Hall of Fame member, uh, Marion Hosa, joins us to chat about Alfie and about Hoss's career and about his new book. He's an author now. The guy does it all. Uh, you're watching Coming In Hot, brought to you by Renfrew Pro Tip. Uh, Marion Hosa, Hockey Hall of Fame member, Marion Hosa. Welcome to the show. It's nice to see you again, sir. Thank you guys for having me. It's nice to see you too. Uh, can you just quickly tell us, what's it like to be a Hockey Hall of Fame member? Well, uh, you know, it definitely uh, was uh, an honor uh, to be 
finally in Toronto after a couple of years uh, because of the COVID situation, but at least I could enjoy it a little bit longer than anybody else. <laughs> and uh, it feels great. It feels great to be between the top players I was looking into when I was a young kid. And there were so many legends uh, in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, when you think about it, you still don't get it, even you there, but you still don't get it totally, you know, what uh, you, know, you accomplished. Yeah, it wasn't, it, it wasn't long ago, Haas, when the, we used to call you the young gun. Like back in the day, you were just, it's, cra it's crazy how, how, time, how time flies. So like, I, I remember you coming to Ottawa, you lived with your mom for the first year, you're English. Like you were a guy that I know coming over to play with Portland, it really helped. But one thing that really sticks out with me, Haas, is you make such an effort to learn the language right away. And, and I think that's why you got immediate respect and why the guys loved you. Like, obviously you were a good player, but because you were always hanging around the guys, talking and making an effort, remember Ivan, Cher Ivan Chernik early on? And, and yeah, he, yeah. Really, he really struggled with the off-ice stuff, but not to pump your tires too much, Haas, here, because enough people have been doing that. But you, I just remember that early on, Haas, like you were, a good guy early man and you just the guys really loved that about you you just you had you just really wanted to be part of the group and i think that's that was for me a big reason why off the ice you were just immediately um part of the group yeah thanks uh for mentioning the uh, the time go by so fast and uh i remember joining odawa squad and i tried to make the team uh you know try to establish myself as a as a, as a top six uh, players on a team and that was my goal uh, you know first goal was to get drafted and uh, then you know uh, be the guy who can basically you know start scoring goals making points uh, try to win the games for the team and uh, I was asking lots of questions you know to the guys and I think they liked it about me because uh, I try to you know keep it simple but also blend in and uh, be part of the group and uh, you, you guys were great to me since i joined uh, the senators and uh, i just had a great great memories so. uh there's lots of stuff to talk about with you and by the way you came in and you were second in the league and or second in calder voting you finished runner-up to chris drury i think it was if i'm not mistaken uh you made the all-star the all-rookie team um I'm going to take a time now to point out the tale of the tape brought to you by Renfrew Pro Tape. Some interesting notes we find out about Marion Hossa. Uh, 56, that's where you are all-time scoring list in the National Hockey League, 1,134 points. 35th most goals scored in NHL history, 525. 80, uh, the 80th player in league history to score 1,000 points. And 31 is the all-time playoff points list. You're 31st in playoff points. That's a phenomenal number to me, 149 points. Is there any number that really stands out to you? Uh, I mean, there's a few numbers. Obviously, uh, when I started playing uh, National Hockey League, my dream came true. And uh, like I mentioned before, I tried to establish myself to be, uh, you know, uh, steady, top six forward and try to help the team to win. But I never thought I could play, you know, I, or I could, it's probably a bad word. I, there was no, never in my mind to play, I'm going to one day play a thousand games or scoring a thousand points or 500 goals, you know, 
this, you know, I, it just went step by step and tried to be better each day. And uh, that was my goal in my head, try to help the team. And, and all of a sudden, you know, fast forward and there was the milestones. And I was like, wow, you know, like that went by quick. And I got lucky to be part of those groups because I had a great, great players to play with me. And without them, I wouldn't be a Hall of Famer. I wouldn't win the Stanley Cup. So I like to, this way, thanks. Uh, all the teammates in Ottawa centers and plus, you know, other teams where I play because without the team, you know, you wouldn't be where you are. Hey, uh, Daniel Alfredson is going to the Hall of Fame next week. You're in the Hall of Fame. It, it's such a great accomplishment. I asked Alfie this, and we were at the other day, and I said, like, what, what do you think it was that, that got you to the next level? And Alfie just kept talking about hard work and the process, and he was a little bit of a late bloomer. I know your dad, was, was really involved with, with you and your brother. Your dad coached a little bit. Is there anything you could put your finger on, like, like when you were young? Are you a kid that, like, you see the guys now, they're on the ice in the summer, they're on the ice all the time. Uh, it's crazy how much hockey everyone's doing right now. Like, when you were young growing up, wh what do you think it was that kind of pushed you and, and, and turned you into the player you are, uh, and, and, and player you became? You know, Hall of Fame player, Haas. It's crazy to say that, but wh what do you think? Uh, I think the key word would be uh, discipline. Uh, you know, my dad taught me that because he was the coach, he was the player. And uh, he told me, like, uh, you know, if you do something, do it 100%. Otherwise, it doesn't make a sense to do it. And that's kind of like always I had in my mind when I was training for, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I had like my goals. I saw I was reading Jaromir Jagr book when he was doing the squats and, uh, and that kind of motivated me because I was like, wow, that, that, that is interesting. So before the bed, me and my brother in our room started squatting, you know, before we went to sleep. And, and that mentality, I think, you know, uh, started rolling and uh, my mind was to be the best I can be. And the discipline got me there because without the discipline, not just in hockey, but I believe in a life, uh, it's now tough to accomplish any success. Hey, Haas, how, how old were you when you started skating? I'm always, this, I'm always fascinated when guys got on blades for the first time. How old were you? I was five years old. Yeah, and right, right away, were you good? Did you just love it, or did you just... Uh... No, no, I, 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 it took me a while to be... My brother was a smoother skater. He started skating when he was three. He was skating with me, so I was two years older. And he was way smoother skater and I was more funnier skater. And after like the years went on, I started learning and I got involved with, uh, you know, I we did back then, we didn't have skating coaches like the guys, these kids uh, these days, right? Yeah. So kind of, you know, we had one coach and he showed me and I started learning to skate better. And after like, I become faster and, uh, you know, more powerful skater. Uh, there's, I, we probably have about four hours worth of material to ask you about, so I'll try to get through this pretty quick, but one is, yeah. uh, how much credit does Radic Bonk get for getting you to the hall of fame? And the only reason I ask you this question is because you, you, you would have like three point nights or whatever. You'd have these really good games and we go to Radic and we're like, Hey, gotta ask you about Haas. And you know, he's like, what am I as fucking agent? And he would do it all the time. And I always would joke about it. And so. Whenever I see Bonky, I always think of you and how he used to joke about you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so with Bonky, we had a great relationship uh, because I think my first six years in Ottawa, uh, he was my roommate. So, you know, back then we had the roommates uh, right away. And I think even the old guys, uh, they had the roommates. 
So Bonki was my roommate and he definitely was big, uh, I would say help on my beginning. You know, I was with him uh, basically like uh, uh keychain, you know, everywhere he went, I went because I didn't know better. And, uh, you know, we played together also in the same line with Magnus Arvetson and uh, we were like starting at the checking line and uh, we were like pretty good to check the first lines, but also we create some offense and I enjoy playing with Radek and uh, Magnus and uh, uh, every time we came to Orava or, uh, you know, I either see him or, you know, uh, make a text to him. So uh, definitely love to see him one day when we come to Orava and uh, have a glass of wine like in the old times. I, I, I see Bonky quite often. I'm curious, Austin, I'm trying to remember. Were you on the Bonky diet as well with a lot of Alfredo sauce, a couple of Cokes? I think Bonky used to have like three Cokes before every game. Lots of Alfredo. Were you doing that? I, I don't think, was that your routine too? <laughs> well, here and there, I you know I enjoyed uh, you know good uh, fat food sometimes. But <laughs> I remember Bonky loves the Alfredo sauce. And <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta I, ask you one more, one more, one more thing. Uh, so in the book, I can't wait to, to read this book. By the way, um, he said it was just released yesterday. Uh, Hosa, and it's going to be in uh, in Slovak and English. There's going to be two versions, right? So, is there going to be, you know, early on in your career? Because you played a long time in the NHL. Like secrets to to staying and and being, you know, having a proper warm up. Because I remember in Ottawa, Haas, you used to love a good hot tub before practice. Is there, is there going to be a little thing in the book about the hot tubs early in the early in the career? Uh, I think I'm going to disappoint you. I don't think I mentioned the hot tub there. <laughs> but but you are right. You know, there's certain things, you know, after you write a book, uh, it's kind of popped out, uh, you know, and the pages would be, instead of like, I think there is like 300 something pages, you know, would be even bigger book because there is always some new story came out. So, uh, but uh, you're right. I was I, I was loving it uh, to warm up in a hot tub and uh, get warm and uh, then start like you know doing the routine. How nice. how much is in the book about your time in Ottawa? Uh, we'll get to the trade in a sec, but is there much in there about your uh, beginnings in Ottawa? I mentioned uh, you know not totally details about. Uh, certain places. I just picked some stories out and uh, so uh, there is like few things but uh, not as many. Being interviewed by me didn't make the book then is what you're telling me. Yeah, too bad we didn't have an interview earlier, right? I would have <laughs> better probably like thoughts. <laughs> um, so you're going to have your jersey retired uh, November 20th in Chicago, number 81, the eighth Chicago member to have that honor. Um, I, like, I guess, what's that reaction like? And it leads into the Sens just announced Chris Neal will have his number 25 retired uh, this year as well. I, just tell me, you've had, uh, where does this rank when it comes to accolades? Like, this is an original six team. This isn't given out to a lot of people. You become the eighth, as I said, uh, a pretty prestigious honor. Well, first of all, I didn't know about Neeler. So, Neeler, congratulations. If you watch this, uh, that's awesome. And uh, definitely, uh, we, I have a. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. 
LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Phone call with, uh, with the management of the Blackhawks. Uh, they're supposed to be, you know, uh, Rocky Words, Danny Words, Jamie Faulkner, my agent, and me. And they want to tell me something. So obviously we had kind of like a gentleman's agreement when I was uh, not going to play anymore because my skin issues, uh, then uh, Blackhawks uh, would like me to trade my contract, right? Uh, the rights to Arizona. So uh, basically free up the cup space. And I, I, at first I said no. And, uh, but after like year after they came up to me the second time and they asked me because they would, you know, they would help them. So uh, they made a trade and I said, okay, then, uh, because I, I like, you know, being still be part of the team. And if I cannot help on the ice, you know, if I do it this way, you know, you know, mean it. But I told, I told, I remember I told the owner, Rocky words, I said, Rocky, uh, but you have to promise me you sign me uh, for one day after my contract expires. He's like, deal. <laughs> so... So we basically come to the point, uh, there is a big phone call, a Zoom call, and uh, you know, they told me about the one-day contract. But plus the bonus, or the big bonus, they, they told me they decide to retire my jersey. And when I heard the news, I had like goosebumps, and I was like speechless at the same time, and I didn't know what to say. And they had a just great look at my face when they told me that. And uh, that was amazing, amazing uh, Zoom call, uh, which I never forget. That is an awesome story. Haas, a little bit of a tough question for you here. Three Stanley Cups, number of retired, Hockey Hall of Fame. I'm going to put you on the spot here. If you could put pick a thing that you say, man, that is something I'm most proud of or something that you really value. Could, could you pick one or is it just too tough to pick? Uh, I think uh, if I have to pick one, I think uh, definitely uh, – the first Stanley Cup I won uh, because after two losses, you know, uh, that I think I enjoyed the most. <laughs> like that, 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 that had to be like you talk about a guy, and this is kind of your story, Haas, because I remember you had a major knee injury before you even started in the NHL. Like a lot of guys, they might not have made it, but you think experiences like that early on, a little bit of adversity, well, a lot of adversity. And then you just become such a mentally tough guy. Um, all of a sudden, you had the you know Pittsburgh, Detroit. You think you're going to win, you don't win, and then man, you, you just must be so proud because that takes. A, there's got to be something in you to just keep making you drive and keep working to be able to do that, Haas. Right? Yeah, you're right. Uh, so after the second loss, that was devastating, right? Because you lose against the team they offer you five years contract, play with Sidney Crosby, and he didn't take it. And uh, when I look back, 
I was uh, looking at back uh, when I was writing the book, I said, like, what the hell I was thinking then, you know, <laughs> like playing with the best player, you know, and I, I clicked with him right away in Pittsburgh. We had like success in the playoffs and I went one year to Detroit, but I just had the vision, you know, I definitely, you know, I wanted to win and they had a great team, Detroit, even for one year, but I want to find out like, what, what, what exactly is in that Detroit locker room because they were, you know, winning three or four Stanley Cups. They had the players, future Hall of Famers, and they had, like, great coaching staff. And I was like, I want to be part of that team, even for one year. I want to have a peek in that kitchen to help me to be better player, you know. Why Drapers and Malby's are still, like, playing high class in the fourth, third line, you know, checking the best players, you know. And that year gave me so much. Even when we didn't win, we lost. But that year gave me so much to be a better player, better 200-foot player, learning from Zetterberg and Datsuk. And uh, after when I was leaving Detroit, I was more prepared, mentally tougher, and better 200-foot player. Did you get many chirps from your former Penguin teammates when they beat you? Uh, from the fans, yes. From the teammates, uh, no. I think there was some type of wide respect uh, to each other. <laughs> okay. So they knew how I felt. Uh, obviously, losing second time, the closest possible way, game seven by one goal, yeah. you know, against the team you had a chance to play for, right? So that was, uh, that was tough, tough uh, loss, uh, especially that was mentally a pretty tough summer for me. But I told myself, either I'm going to, like, feel sorry for myself or I'm going to work even harder and... Uh, you know, put everything on the side and just work because I, I knew I'm going to be free agent. And that team, they're going to choose to sign me. You know, they want to marry Hossa with a clear head, not with the feel sorry, marry Hossa. So I just start training even harder and be prepared for the new season. You've played with so many good players. You talk about Crosby and obviously Kane and Taves and um, Alfie. Like, where does Alfie rank for you as a guy that's going into the Hall of Fame I, I guess, what was he like for you to play with for the five years you were in Ottawa? Well, with Alfie, I had a great connection right away. He's like uh, so humble, uh, quiet superstar, and uh, he was excellent. I enjoyed to be always around him, uh, great attitude guy. I, I usually never saw a Swedish guy like with bad attitude, so there's something about Swedes. But uh, Alfie, you know, he was a captain, the icon of the Ottawa Senators. And a uh, couple times, I think, uh, I believe we were uh, either roommates uh, in uh, playoffs. But uh, with Alfie, I just had a great memories. And, uh, you know, it was such a nice to see. Uh, finally, he got recognition to be Hall of Famer because he definitely deserved it. And, you know, uh, this is, uh, this, there was great news when I, when I saw that. Are there Ollie tips for him? Like when going into the Hall of Fame, does, is there is there a secret handshake? Do you have like I don't know secret codes or anything that happens? No, but uh, Nicholas Lindstrom just told me uh, last year uh, just enjoy the weekend. And obviously there was so much things going on, so many times uh, different uh, stuff you have to do. But uh, I just took that wo his words, and I was just smiling and enjoying the moment. Hey, Haas, you mentioned this earlier, and a lot of people, they didn't really know what happened to you. And, and you mentioned it earlier when you had this, the skin condition later on in your career. 
what, what, what happened? Like, did that just come out of the blue for you? Or was that something you were always dealing with? Yeah, so there's going to be in one, um, I'm, I'm writing in a book, uh, just whole chapter about the skin condition. So people understand what I went through. There's a couple pictures of that. And uh, basically, like, shorter version, uh, it started like uh, last four years before I retired. So my last four seasons uh, started like really simple, like, you know, like something I was itching, then it was like kind of more, uh, more worse. And each year was getting worse and worse until I have to basically like tape it. Uh, so it doesn't soak through the, through the t-shirts or when I was sleeping at home, you know, my wife was always washing the sheets because I was leaking from the wounds and that was like re getting really uncomfortable and came to the point I try everything and came to the point I have to be on a strong pill uh, it's almost like half a chemotherapy pill cyclosporine and uh, also my doctor is writing in a book uh, really shortly like to explain what it means and what it was and uh, we try everything but we couldn't kind of stop it and that was only because you're sweating in equipment, you know, soon as I stopped and uh, two, three weeks later after the season, when I didn't have to put equipment on, you know, the skin started healing. But during the season, you got practice, you got game, you got another game, you got back-to-back -back games, you know, you got practices. So the skin never had a chance to recover. And uh, that was the problem. And now that, now that you're down and you're not playing, you're, it's gone totally? Yeah, because every time, even in the summer, after like three weeks after the season, the skin healed and summer was fine. Even I was running with a t-shirt, yeah. uh, you know, I never had a problem. But soon as the season started and we started having like preseason games and I never had the problems with the skin until like I started doing around 34 years old, 35, 36, 37. So those four years was getting really rough. And, uh, you know, when I was taking pills, then I have to make the decision because I cannot play the sport and eating chemicals uh, and I don't know what kind of side effects would it have down the road, right? Yeah, that's, that's a crazy, that's a crazy story, especially something like that coming on like later in your career. It's, uh, it, and are you still trying to figure out how it happened? No, because uh, right now, like, I don't play hockey anymore. You know, yeah. there's like one exhibition game and I'm actually going to have another one against uh, Jager team. Uh, it could be actually uh, because one we had in Bratislava and yeah. another one we're going to have in, uh, in uh, Prague. And this could be his last game when he say goodbye. That's what I heard, maybe, you know, so we'll know. Uh, well, he's 50 years old, right? He's still playing. That's unbelievable. But anyway, uh, so I, I, I was those two games and one game actually that was in, uh, in Toronto when I was in Hall of, Hockey Hall of Fame. But... You know, you barely sweated right in those games, and you play <laughs> 20, 20, 30 minutes. So that's not really game. But uh, yeah, that was that was difficult to deal with, and I had to make a big decision. Crazy. Uh, yeah. I, it it is it's phenomenal. It's I'm glad I'm, you've handled it extremely well. I I want to come back to to Ottawa. How much in the book is on the trade uh, from Ottawa to Atlanta? Yeah, I mentioned it uh, definitely. I mentioned it uh, how uh, it was handled. I talked about uh, uh, in Toronto how we met uh, John Muckler and uh, Peter Shirelli in a little room. So there is like few things uh, I mentioned about it. 
does it still it bother me, you to this day? Yeah. Uh, no, I get over that now. I'm just uh, keep smiling, but it, it was it actually bugs me for a long time when I was playing because I had uh, I was really attached to Ottawa, to the fans, to the, my friends there, and I, it was like special place for me and to be dealt the way it was handled, I was uh, disappointed, you know, and if they told me they have some trade and they don't want me, uh, I, I would say, okay, tell it, give it to, to my face, tell me to my eyes, and I am the guy, you know, I can handle it, you know, I, I would probably go somewhere else because I wouldn't want to be somewhere where they don't want me, right? They have different plans, so I'd rather go somewhere else. But uh, I guess they were they were scared I won't sign it and they wouldn't trade me. So I understand that. So Haas, when you when you signed that contract, uh, you signed it in good faith, and there was the there was the no trade clause taken out, right? And then you signed it, and you think you're going to be an Ottawa Senator. And then how quickly how quickly did the trade happen? So there was arbitration going on, so uh, we couldn't agree to the deal when I was in Europe. So uh, they said, well, we have to go to arbitration. I said, okay, great. I, you know, I feel confident. I had the good numbers. I said, so let's go to arbitration then. So I flew to Toronto and uh, we had the dinner with my agent. I went to sleep and early morning, uh, there was a text uh, at the breakfast. Uh, Can we meet uh, with you guys? They texting us with my agent. Uh, so uh, we said, yes, of course we can meet. So we met right before arbitration, five minutes before it's supposed to start in a little room. And all of a sudden they told us, uh, we're gonna sign the deal, you know, we give you what you want. I was like, what? Like I flew all the way here and now you guys tell me like, you agree to the deal? I was like, look at my agent <laughs> and I was like, okay, great. So and my agent told John McClure back then, He's like, but uh, put a no trade clause in a contract. And John McClure said, I never do it. You know, so there is no way we're going to put a no trade. And I told my agent, Michael, you know, if they don't want me somewhere, I wouldn't play there. I'd rather go somewhere where they want me, right? So don't, don't even bother to put it there. So we signed a deal. We shook the hands, you know, and on the way to the airport, I think I was sitting already in my plane going to Europe, back to Europe. And uh, there is a phone number. And I look at the, there was Ontario number and John Buckler, you know, it's like, Marian, this is John. He's like, we just traded to Atlanta. And I was like, great, okay, bye. And basically that was the end of it. And I felt like just terrible. I had nine hours sitting in a plane to think about it, what just happened, right? <laughs> that is, that is cold, man. <laughs> like that's. I guess there's no way to do it, man, but to do it like that, man. I know. That so, uh, so that's why I was uh, bitter because the way they handle it, I think it could be handled differently. But, you know, I learned from uh, that day, NHL is also uh, business. And sometimes, you know, you have to swallow the pride and, uh, you know, you're just part of the deal. And, uh, you know, I learned from it. I will say you you got Atlanta to their only playoff appearance. You have their only 100-point season, and you are a 40-goal scorer, so you did do a pretty good job in Atlanta, uh, despite yeah. it being in Atlanta. Uh, let me ask you, then, what's your favorite Ottawa Senator memory? 
My favorite? Uh, uh, definitely, we had like unbelievable teams and regular seasons, and we feel like, you know, we can get close uh, in one of those years in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, I, I'm writing in, in a book, I think, uh, about like how great we had the, uh, the Ottawa teams were unbelievable, like strong. We were winning regular season games, but when the playoffs came, uh, we couldn't beat Toronto uh, in, through the first round. And we had like really tough against the greedy, big uh, Toronto team. Uh, they had like Tucker, Corson, Domi, uh, obviously Matt Sandin in front, right? Uh, so they were like difficult to beat in the playoffs. They were like, you know, animals. And uh, we were like skilled, super fast team and we couldn't beat them. And that was difficult, but one year we went far and uh, we went to conference final against uh, New Jersey. Jersey. Yeah, and that we believe if we would win the game seven against Jersey, we could beat the Anaheim uh, Ducks that year because I, I felt like we had like better team than they had. And uh, that was great memory, but you know, not that great because we lost, but I think that year was really, in my mind, uh, our best uh, playoff year, so that year. Yeah, it was phenomenal to watch. That team was really, really good. It's arguably the best team built by the Ottawa Senators, for sure. Really, you think? Because the one team, I think, when I left, uh, they went to the finals. Uh, I still think that the 0203, it's the 0203 team, if I'm not mistaken, was just built better. Yeah, I will argue, it, mm -hmm. I'll argue that. The yeah, people, yeah, I mean, people will say the, the Heatley Spezza Alfie line carried them the entire time for that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that line was unreal. I remember yeah. that. And, uh, but yeah, we had like strong team then. And uh, there was like third period, the one goal they scored. I think they kind of break us, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's the people. Yeah. I don't want to even discuss the it's the Rakunic, Redden, Havlat debacle on the ice. Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know who to blame. Um, yeah. <laughs> what was Jacques Martin like for you? Jacques uh, was a uh, really great defensive coach. Uh, uh, he was keen on the defense, and uh, I didn't mind it. I, I actually liked it. You know, he was uh, paying attention to details. And uh, he was, like, the tougher to co communicate. You couldn't read him. He was, like, more quiet than uh, outspoken, right? Uh, and uh, he, I think Yorkie could uh, agree with me. He would love sometimes to kick shin pads, right? <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> oh, gosh. That's the, that's the big misconception about Jacques Marquet. Everybody thought he didn't get mad and he was this quiet guy. He would, get, he would give it to guys. Like Magnus Arvidsson, we had on the show the other day, told us the story how we became the machine. I don't know if you remember this, Haas, but it was because Jacques came in and yelled at Arby. And he's like, Arby, you're a fucking machine. Quit playing like a pussy. <laughs> and the next day, then the next day, we all started calling Arby the machine. That's how he got the nickname. It was because of Jacques. Oh, yeah. But, but he, Arby had the best deal too, right? Yeah, he did, eh? Hey, he was like Lance. He was like Lance Armstrong with the lungs. Believe us, <laughs> I was, I was, I was thinking about, I was, Haas, I was thinking about your game because I remember playing against you after I left Ottawa, and you were uh, playing for the for different teams. 
Jock used to make us practice chipping the puck. Do you remember that? He'd stand at the blue line with his little Jofa, Peter Morrisburg stick, and he'd have chip, chip, it's going to be two feet off the ice. Your game, you used to come down on defense. I remember you do it to me all the time. And you just put the puck about four feet behind the defenseman, make him turn, then you'd skate right by. Like, what, like, <laughs> like, not many guys can do that, but that was something that you got, you kind of use that as like a, a skill move because you're so big, so fast. Is that something you got from Jacques or is that something you started doing on your own? I think I started doing it on my own. Uh, I remember that drill we were doing, the chipping drill. Huh. Uh, there was there was different drills, so we done it. Uh, we didn't enjoy it as much. But uh, this this one, uh, for some reason, there was like window of couple of years in Ottawa. I started doing that, and uh, uh, before the, some big defenseman turn, right? I, I took advantage of that. Uh, I put it between their legs before they looked at me, or they have to look at the puck. And I took the split second, and I tried to you know overspeed them. And a uh, couple of years it worked, but after uh, after like different rules, it stopped working. So I had to change the strategy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the thing with you, Haas. You could. I always thought with guys like you, you were a triple threat. You could be physical, you were fast, and you also had skill. And oh, surprise, surprise, you're in the Hall of Fame, and that's 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 one of the big reasons. Um, but in the book, is is there anything we talked about the Stanley Cups? Uh, we talked about the trade. Is there anything else in, in the book that that you remember that you wrote about that that, that really sticks out for you in your career? Oh, uh, well, there's lots of obviously interesting things um stuff to stuff to choose one obviously you know writing about the cups uh, writing about how we started with my brother this chapter like uh with the skin condition uh you know uh there's a also a little chapter how we you know damage the cup <laughs> at the party how'd, so, that happen? how'd that happen uh, you have to read it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. A little teaser, huh? <laughs> so, uh, so there's like, uh, you know, good little parts. I think it's easy reading. It's nothing, you know, uh, you should fall asleep on. <laughs> so, so I think it's going to be, you know, uh, easy book to read, you know. If you want to write a book anyhow, because that's not like some guys write books. What, what was your reasoning for wanting to do the book? Yeah, so uh, somebody after I won the first cup, you know, told me like, start writing the book, you know, I think you have a great story. And I was like, uh, no, like, uh, you know, if you write a book, you have to have like, uh, you know, free time. And, I, you know, I don't have that. I want to like focus on hockey and I want to, I still got like, you know, 10 years in front of me in my contract. So I want to keep playing. And uh, so I kind of knew in my mind after I, I was getting successful, I want to, you know, uh, leave something behind, some legacy. And especially my kids are young and uh, I haven't been playing this fifth year. So uh, my little two daughters, uh, the oldest one and the middle one, they remember a little bit maybe, right, from my career. But the youngest one, just born, uh, she doesn't remember, you know, uh, she won't remember nothing. So this way, when she grabbed the book, you know, when she started reading, when she's going to be old enough, there is something, okay, this is my dad, you know, like I know who he was. And, uh, and uh, I want to just leave something uh, when the kids are older, they can read and uh, they'll be proud of the dad. Awesome. What is your yeah, thank you. favorite Stanley Cup party story? <laughs> 
Uh, you know, uh, I think my best party story is always uh, when uh, we won, when the media was leaving the dressing room, and then there stayed the management, just the guys and trainers, basically the, the people who you were in a fight two months straight. And I think back there, I think that was the best time. It wasn't, it wasn't long, but it was in the dressing room right after. So the hype was really high. And we enjoyed the, you know, the champagne, the coaches, the spray, the coaches, and there was just champagne everywhere. And that was the best party. Obviously, there was great parties afterwards, but this was always so intense and so fun and so fresh. So I enjoyed the dressing room parties. How much sleep do you get in the first week after winning the Stanley Cup? <laughs> yeah. So I'm uh, also uh, writing a little bit about it because I told my wife... Uh, that if finally, if I get lucky and win the cup, you know, I'll be partying five days straight. And uh, after I think the third night, I was uh, I uh, I was sleeping, and uh, when the, when I looked at my clock and my guys were texting me, uh, you know, we are at the dinner, come over. I swear to God, I I wanna just stay in a bed and just don't go anywhere. But I promised myself. And I'm pretty disciplined guy, so I went five nights. <laughs> <laughs> five to five, you're, yeah, that's your max, eh, Haas? Five nights, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so good. That was I'm only totally the first cup. Yeah. yeah, me too, me too. Haas, do you, still, do you still watch a lot of hockey? Like, now that you're down, is it something back home? I know it's a time change and everything, but do you still yeah. watch a lot, of, a lot of NHL? Yeah. So, uh, cup, uh, like, uh, I think uh, a week or two weeks ago, there was a Chicago game against uh, Seattle. So, I watched that because that was afternoon game in uh, Chicago. So, I watched that. Uh, that was at night here. But usually, I don't watch many hockey games because of the time change. But every morning, i uh, making uh, kids, uh, like, breakfast or, uh, you know, snacks for school. Uh, I have a coffee. I put my phone and i watching the highlights and i picking my... Favorite players who I like to watch, uh, uh, you know, some highlights reels or how the Blackhawks playing. So definitely, like, I, I have an idea how the standings are, how the games are, but I don't watch hockey. Who are, who are your who are your guys? You just mentioned certain guys you like to watch. Who are guys that, that Marion Holsa likes to watch? So definitely from Chicago is Kane Taze because they're still there, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, text with them here and there when they have a good game or, you know, when they, I see something special. So we still keep in touch. But who I like to definitely watch is definitely Conor McDavid. Uh, you know, that's uh, phenomenal what he is doing. He's uh, doing his own, uh, own league. And uh, McKinnon from Colorado and also Aston Matthews uh, from Toronto. I think those, those guys, you know, they're exciting to watch. We don't talk about the Leafs on this show, Marion. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, you know, they remind me of Ottawa days when we were good in a regular season. And when they hit the playoffs, we couldn't pass the first round. So they the Leafs these days, right? <laughs> they just seems that just there's some similarities. I, I don't mean like tripping anybody, but just remind me something about it, right? Yep. Yep. And then they're going to yeah. have to make a move and change that roster to make them win. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mary, we appreciate your time. We know you're uh, you're a busy man. Uh, oh, before we go, you're an ex you're a successful businessman. The Sens are for sale. Any I thought of maybe helping buy the franchise? <laughs> Which franchise? The Sens. Yeah. 
Well, uh, definitely, I don't have that much money, so uh, <laughs> I cannot buy. I can buy like you know one percent of that. Maybe. <laughs> oh, I, awesome. it, it, even if you don't, you're still a fan favorite in this city, a legendary status, really, for the most part. Everybody knows Marion Hosa, regardless of how much time has passed. And we appreciate your time. Congrats on the Hall of Fame, uh, and congrats on uh, having your jersey retired. We look forward to seeing that ceremony on uh, November 20th in Chicago, my friend. Uh, thank you guys for having me. And, uh, you know, Ottawa always going to be in my heart uh, because, you know, that's where I started, and I have just great memories, and I still got lots of friends there. So, uh, Want to say hi to everybody and uh, go sense. And special thanks once again to Marion Hosa. Yorkie, he's going to have his number retired. And as we said in the interview, Chris Neal, it was announced, is going to have his number 25 retired by the Ottawa Senators coming up uh, February 17th against Chicago, ironically enough, or coincidentally, I guess. Um, listen, there's lots of chat about whether or not numbers should be retired. I am for Chris Neal's number being retired, just so we're clear. 1,026 games. He sits 20th all-time in penalty minutes. He's a heart and soul guy. It's a franchise that's young. It doesn't have a lot of history. doesn't have Stanley Cups and all that stuff. I believe this is the right move to honor somebody who's given basically everything he's got to this organization. Well, don't forget, I, I think some of Neal's games he played – I think they count as maybe one and a half because some of those nights you're fighting Ty Domi, you're taking on the Leafs team, you're standing up for everybody. I I got a lot of time for Neeler. He, I I say this about him. I I watched him, and he's a guy where, that I say he played the game from the tips, from the back tees. Like every night, this guy brought it. He fought. People say, well, he didn't score enough. He wasn't a top six player. Young franchise, building some history. I think it's a good move. You honor a guy that's played all his games with the Ottawa Senators, loves the city, has made it this his home. And you got to factor in the off-ice stuff as well, Wally. Like, this guy has done so much in the community, um, his whole family. I think it's good. Any Anytime you can bring a positive story of a guy that has dedicated his entire professional career to the Ottawa Senators and done so in a different fashion than most players uh, through toughness, standing up for his teammates, and some memorable, massive hits. Like that one hit he laid over on the right in front of the visiting bench. You could hear that hit from the 400 level. I'm trying to remember who that guy he ran over was while he was at the Buffalo Sabres game or is it Washington Capitals? I just remember the hit. It was a piercing sound. It was it was Boston, right? Who was the guy? Wally, do you remember the guy he got with that hit? Am I, it's, it's blacking out. I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot. But one of the... No. Yeah, maybe Brandon Carlo. One of the biggest hits I've ever seen. But that's Chris Neal. Physical. Uh, played the game from the tips, like I said. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's a big honor. And people can debate it all they want. But I, I think it's a great thing for the franchise. And so... And, and it is. It's not stereotypical of a top six forward or a top four D type who's all that stuff. I get it. But the point is it doesn't matter to the Toronto fans or to LA or Nashville who it is. It's about Ottawa and the market and what they have meant to this organization. And so for this organization, Chris Neal was every bit a part of the fabric than anybody else that's played alongside Alfie, alongside Phillips. So I don't necessarily, I don't have a problem with it. If people in LA are upset, that's fine. Listen, they're building a statue <laughs> to Dustin Brown. I don't know that I care that there should be a statue to the guy. 
but that's for them. I don't care. Like, good for them. If they want to do that, go ahead. So don't have an issue in the, a market that doesn't have an impact in your life. Are they doing a statue? No, you're joking, right? No, I'm pretty sure they're building a statue for Dustin Brown. Well, statues, so number is one thing. A statue to me, if you get a statue, that's a whole different, uh, that's a whole different level there. You put the statue up. And no disrespect oh. to Dustin Brown, another guy that, Another guy that played the game from the tips as well, played hard, captain. Exactly. Uh, uh, but you do what you want as a franchise. Do what you want. There's a committee. They go right. through their process. They figure things out. The one thing about Nealer, too, if you look at the fabric of the Ottawa Senators fan base, there is a big uh, – my vocabulary is escaping. But there's a big Ottawa Valley kind of old-school type of mentality within our fan base where, where, where people like – tough hockey and the fan in Ottawa mm. the average fan in Ottawa knows hockey and he understands the importance of team toughness and Neeler played an era too where there was fighting like early on in his career he had to fight a lot and stick up but he could also play the game as well so it's uh people can like I said you can debate it all you want it's uh it's it's a nice move and it brings more history the one thing this franchise lacks there's not a lot of history because it's a young franchise. It's an expansion team. There hasn't been a modern-day Stanley Cup here yet, so you have to take pride in some of your accomplishments, some of the things you could you have done as a group, as a team. Because if you don't do that, it's I, I think you kind of you, you're kind of missing something as a team. So you have to grab on and really celebrate some of the some of the good things that this team has had. And anytime you can have a celebration, do something, honor somebody. I think it's a good thing. And, and a couple of points to that. One is that the Sens are uh, you know, struggling on the ice, but off the ice right now, they're doing a lot of good things and they're doing a lot of the right moves. And it's been very stale for the last, I feel like the last decade at least. And so, you know, Alfie wasn't part of the organization anymore and Chris Phillips had left. And now guys are coming back in. Tim Stutzla uh, saw an early show that we did with, with Meth uh, and Alfie was on and Tim said to the, some of the people that worked in the organization, how do I meet Daniel Alfredson, who didn't know anything about him? And so that history that they don't know about is now starting to come back in. Open up the ring of honor. They're going to put some more players and more people into it. Jacques Martin should be in there, all kinds of people. It's build the history. Let people know what had transpired here, especially early in those 2000s when they were dominating hockey games. They had one of the best lines in hockey, all that stuff. That story needs to be told, good or bad, I guess, at some point. And let people understand that there is a bit of history here to feel that kind of sense of pride within an organization. So if it means hanging number 25 and 4 and 11 to the rafters, you hang them. So I agree. I agree, Wally. So unfortunately for the Senators fan base, we had a period of I don't know how many years where I think we lost a generation of fans for this hockey club um, just by – ostracizing your, your your best player you've ever had and, and 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 that was a huge mistake and I don't I don't want to talk poorly about about Eugene Melnick who's no longer around because I think that's that's poor taste but the fact is there were some big mistakes made with Daniel Alfredson and how players that played for the team in the past not that guys were treated poorly or anything it was just things were done in a different fashion. And that really, I can tell you, a lot of my friends that were season ticket holders, they had boxes, they stopped going. People stopped going. People mm -hmm. stopped caring. 
no, the, and I'm not saying something that's that's people don't know, but that's what happened. A fan base was left behind, and there is a period in time where where this team lost a lot of traction. So I I do agree that part of doing these moves, I'm not saying that's why they are being done, but it's a good thing because you're embracing your history. You're, 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 you're getting some goodwill back with your fan base. And people are talking about the Ottawa Senators again. And, and anytime you're talking about the Senators and you're interested, it's a good thing. Uh, so debate all you want. Uh, people can say he doesn't belong, whatever. It's, uh, it, it's a nice honor. And I, and I talked to Chris the other day. I sent him a message. He is he is so excited. This guy, this guy lives and dies with the team. He loves it. Um, yes. And he, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a good thing, man. It's a good thing. He, and he's at every game. He's like he is a full-on Ottawa Senator. That's that's his identity. So I don't have any issues, as I said, with him having his number retired. I think it's well deserved. Congrats, Danieler. Um, and now, Yorkie, uh, I'm off all weekend just to watch Ryan Reynolds movies. That's my goal. <laughs> you got a man crush, Wally? <laughs> I just want to know what the new owner's like. I just want to make sure I know everything about him. Uh, so yeah, I'm watching. I'll watch yeah, all the well. movies. I am off to Windsor, Ontario. I'm going to watch some more U Sports hockey. My oldest son, Jack, is playing in Windsor. So I'm going to get in my sled and off we're going to go for the weekend, visit the in-laws and catch a couple U uh, Sports hockey games, two of them in Windsor. So I got a long drive ahead of me. Well, enjoy. Be safe on the roads. Uh, we'll catch up again on Monday. <laughs>